Welcome to the Do More Podcast, where we share strategies and tips for improving your life in every aspect. Here's your host, John Farling. All right, today's show, we have John Chapman, a good friend of mine out of Dallas, Texas. I believe we've known each other for probably just over three years. Uh, he's a self-storage investor, and I don't want to uh, ruin his, his intro, so I'll let him kind of take it from here. But uh, John, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you, uh, where you're from, you know, what you were doing before real estate investing, and uh, we'll just go from there. Sure. Uh, so um, I grew up in Florida and um, <clears throat> I was um, really good at school, and but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So like a lot of people, I ended up going to law school and um, did well there and came out as a lawyer and ended up in Dallas. And within a few years, realized I hated it. And, you know, we, I've heard you talk about pain points. My pain point, I remember distinctly was like, I didn't get some tiny raise as a lawyer so something really petty but it was just a final straw and so this was in 08 and I just had enough that I finally kind of said enough I've got to do something else and start looking for something else I'd always been entrepreneurial uh, which law does not necessarily lend itself to particularly if you're on the larger corporate side which I was at that time and so I started uh, in 08, buying single-family houses. Uh, I'd love to say I was a genius and timed the market perfectly. I was lucky, and it was just fortuitous timing that my pain point became excruciating at that point. I did that for quite a few years. I think I got to like 35 or 36 houses. Oh, yeah, I mean, and I didn't have any money. So, I mean, I was every hustling trick, you know, 0% credit cards and I did the, that burr thing they do on bigger pockets. I did that before it was a thing. And so, um, and then I, I got divorced in 2018, which was financially calamitous at the time. Um, but with the benefit of looking back, um, <clears throat> I think it's probably one of the best things that ever happened, happened to me business wise. I mean, there's a whole other aspects to it. But um, prior to that, I just, I see this with a lot of single family guys. We were, I was stuck. I couldn't do anything besides single family. That's all I knew. I had just enough that I was scared to lose it. It was like, I was getting ossified, you know, turn into stone and losing as much as I did in my divorce really was like, if you could pick yourself up and just kind of go back at it, it's like, well, that's about as bad as it gets. So it, it really encouraged me to start looking at new things. Um, and so I did some spec homes. I did, transitional housing. I did some land flips. I did everything. And then ultimately made my way into the storage space over COVID. And, you know, we were part of the same group and that's been really good to me. And it actually allowed me to quit my law job here about a year and a half ago. Nice. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, so I want to back up a little bit because I think there's, you know, knowing some of the people that listen, um, you said something about you've bought well, one, it sounds like you were an attorney for what, four or five years until you found real estate investing? Correct. I mean, I'd always been interested. I was a realtor for a year beforehand, but I didn't really get into it as an investor until about 08. Okay. So 08, you started and obviously, you know, you, you had basically a decade before you got in self-storage, which it sounds like where you probably really took off, but you had 35 single family rentals. Like that's a good size portfolio. I want to kind of dive into... I think a lot of people are scared to take action. They use excuses. They don't have money. They don't know what they're doing. They overeducate. 
or they just take no action. So talk to us about a deal where you did use the credit card to uh, how did you uh, how did you take down yeah. a single family rental using a credit yeah, card? Yeah, I mean we have no money, so I would open up like John K. Chapman, sole proprietor, business credit card. And then I would take a 0% loan for, and then, back then they were doing like 18, 24 months and get like 15, 20 grand. And I would use that as a down payment. And so I'll be honest, I'm not, the way I saw, okay, I, would, I don't do this nowadays because I'm older and it's running up. I mean, it was like six figures in credit card debt at one point. And I, I wiped it all out with refis and stuff, but I think at the time my my perspective was the greatest risk was to not do anything when you're young. Like that's the time to take risks. And I knew it was certain if I did nothing, I was going to have nothing. So um, that was what really motivated me. I just had to do something. Yeah. Well, um, it, and you said you wouldn't do it today, but my guess is you're probably buying value add houses, right? So you're <laughs> putting some type of work into it or raising the rents where there's a value add, right? Correct. So you bought them, let's use round numbers. You bought around for a hundred thousand dollars, maybe they're worth 150, 200. So even though yeah. you're borrowing that down payment through credit with a credit card, and then you refinance, you're just moving that equity around, right? And that's, that's right. And I think I wouldn't do it now. It's mainly just because my circumstances have changed. If I was young and hungry and had the opportunity and the time, you know, to, to and needed to do that, I would do it again in a heartbeat if I felt confident. And for, particularly if you're young, if you screw up. Just start over. It's not like um, it's not like when you get older, you know, you get kids and family and all this other stuff that really kind of you know just makes you a little more gun shy. I think. Yep. Yep. So. No, that's awesome. So 30, 35 houses over a decade. That's pretty Probably good. Because I bought some more after my divorce, and okay. I've been selling them. I sold them all out. I'm out of the single family game pretty much now. Um, Which there's a journey to that too, right? You you one you took action. You found an asset class that you like, you took action, you just started buying them, you figured it out along the way, and you accumulated some wealth over time. I'm assuming they were cash flowing as well. Um, I mean, single families aren't renowned for their cash flow. I think that was one of the reasons I got out of them ultimately. If you hold them long enough, on long, it's kind of like a fight club on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. You hold a house long enough, it's going to wipe out all your cash flow from the previous years with make credits, CapEx, whatever, at least here in Texas. So the only way to really make money off them is um, on the appreciation. Oh, well. gotcha. Okay. So that is a little different. So <laughs> you weren't really cash flowing. It was basically- I mean, I had one year that was great. Yeah, I'd have one year that was great. And then one year that was terrible. And, yeah. you know, uh, particularly, as you know, everything's gone up. And so make credits went from two or three grand to five, seven, eight, ten, And people weren't even trashing the houses. And so um, it really- as time went on, I realized this is, unless I have a hundred or 200 of these things, this is just not going to provide the income I need to replace my law job. And I knew that for a long time, but I just, I couldn't take action. I actually needed something as cataclysmic as my divorce to actually get me unshaken, get me loosened up or whatever you want to call it, blow me out of my whatever hole I dug myself in. So Yeah. But, you know, one, one door closes, a window opens. Yeah, and that young fire again. We're rebuilding from almost. I mean, ugh, it was bad, um, but it gets you. It gets you fired up again. And um, I don't know. I, I, it again. I wouldn't wish divorce on anyone, but from just in a very limited sense with regard to the business, it really did help me reset and give me the courage to kind of start doing new things. 
That's awesome. Well, kind of awesome. Awesome now, right? Yeah, awesome so, now. yeah. It was very awesome at the time. So yeah. So you went through that. Obviously, I'm assuming one of the hardest times in your life. Correct. You pivoted to self storage. How did you first learn about self storage? Like, where was that, and why did you start looking at self storage? I went. Uh, I started looking at it back maybe right after my divorce, and almost got into it. I went to um, one of these big name gurus. I'm sure you know who I'm referring to. And it was such a schlocky upsell. It kind of turned me off. And so I went and did other stuff and screwed around. I wish I had actually gotten involved at that time. I think I'd be even further along. But um, basically, I got in a store. Again, like everything, I tend to be kind of, when I've had enough, I've had enough. Uh, during COVID, I was building these three duplexes in like oh, kind of the hood. And the construction costs were going over. The city was a nightmare. And I just, it was middle of COVID. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to own any more rentals. This is idiotic. And I found um, <clears throat> Mike Wagner's Storage Rebellion. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not even going to, I ended up selling the duplexes to the builder for, I mean, a couple bucks, but, and then just went all in on storage. Um, and it took me a few months. And my first deal was just a tiny little thing. A town maybe a couple hours away and as soon as i bought it i realized it was too small so um well yeah, take us through that deal so your first deal i one you you just take action right you don't have everything figured out no uh, single family rentals you use credit cards to get into some of them you just take action obviously it's worked out for you so tell us a little bit about that deal just a ten thousand sure. foot view yeah, sure. You know, just, yeah, like ready, fire, aim. That's I really do think that's more important than anything else. I mean, don't be reckless, but uh, and I've been looking for a little while. That deal was like, oh, it was like ten thousand square feet with maybe an extra half acre, and it was two hundred thousand dollars. So it was twenty bucks a foot. Two. I mean, I know I'm, I had to actually think and agonize about this back then. Nowadays, you know, you'd be an idiot not to buy something like that. But back then, you know, even in twenty twenty. Um, and so I, I knew it was a good enough deal and it was going to get me started. So I ended up buying a bid out a couple. I called the broker. I mean, I just picked, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I got to buy this. And so I called the broker on a weekend and I just didn't get a callback. So I called every single person on his team until I got someone and said, I want this. I will close it. I'm like financing, financing contingency. I mean, it's $200,000 if you can't at this point raise that. Um, and so I think it was just calling him up and working that relationship. Um, helped me beat out a couple other people for it. And so it, I bought it. It had, way, it was hundred percent occupied, you know, way below market rents and it was just being run in a really screwy manner. No website. It was kind of one of these, you know, like I'm going to call them a Mike Wagner deal, you know, where you just kind of go in, find a mom and pop that's not being well run and have a web presence and bring it to the 21st century. And those were more prolific back then, as you know. Um, and so, that deal turned out really good uh, because I was actually able to expand it by another 5,000 square feet, jack the rents, implement tenant insurance. And um, it also just provided a, an anchor point from which to start marketing around and building out systems. Yep. yep. So, so 10,000 10, square feet. I mean, that's similar to my first one. It was 12,000 square feet. I think I did the burst strategy with it. I've pulled out some equity. I don't, if I didn't, I'd probably cash flow, I don't even know, five, six grand a month. Yeah. If you wouldn't have expanded, what would you have cash flowed money in your pocket on that deal? Probably about with that, five or six grand. I, I ultimately get 
Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I took it from, I'm trying to think of maybe not five or six, maybe four or five though, but you could. 50 grand a year. Yeah. For on, on a 200,000, you know, investment. And I think I even used private money for it. Like most of it. Like I think I put, I don't know, 25% down and had my buddy finance the other, whatever. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's the returns are ridiculous when you find something like that. Uh, yeah. You say it's a small deal and it wasn't, wasn't the greatest deal, but to me, that's a home run. And Realistically, that's probably getting a lot of people out of their nine to five is just that one deal. That's yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it was very fortunate. Um, I think, um, I think even more than that though, is, uh, you know, and I, I keep telling people asking, you know, talk about storage is like, once you have your first deal, it, it, I don't know how it was with you, but it seems like everything changes in terms of talking to sellers, brokers, um, you get instant credibility. And I found like it opened so many doors for me, uh, just having one tiny little facility in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Yep. No, you got to swing the bat to get in the right. game. And once right. you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head because all these people are, you know, trying to figure saying there's no deals out there. I can't find any deals. Well, you got to swing the bat, even if you're going to make, well, obviously this one was a home run, but let's say it's today's numbers and maybe you're picking up, $40, $50 a square foot. Maybe you're only making, I'm making these numbers up, but maybe you're only making $1,500 a month. Guess right. what? That's still a pretty good investment. It gets you in the game. And now, like you said, it starts to snowball because people recognize like, oh, you're a self-storage investor. You know, now I can, now people take you serious. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, well, and also it's just having that local presence I immediately, you know, after I bought this one, I mailed everyone within like 30 or 50 miles and they knew the facility and they knew oh, he's local. And I got two more deals that were really good, really good. So how, what's your, Mark, what's your strategy in finding deals? Have they all been off market? Have you bought any on? Only one I ever bought on market was the first one. The rest have all been off market. Okay. Um, and okay. I basically ripped your, I heard you speak, you and Ian speak. And so I ripped both of your guys's, <laughs> methods off. I do the same thing you did, which was go on Google maps, find the facilities, target the ones, you know, and the harder they are to find, the better they are to market to and just hit them with handwritten letters, um, you know, every three months, four months. And, um, yeah, that's how I pretty much picked up all mine. And then once you're in it, it's, you know, you get, you start talking to brokers and they might send you stuff and it's just, it's very, it's like a big ball roll, right? You push it up and then finally just get over the hump. It just starts rolling on its own. Yep. Um, so 20, how many facilities do you have now? Um, I have six, but I've bought more than that and combined them into single operations. Um, so like I bought last summer, I think I bought two facilities. I combined them into one. Okay. Uh, I bought, next to this first facility, I bought it was like 3,000 or 4,000, no, 6,000 square feet on like five acres near. And I bought that, combine it, run it as one. So I think I run them as six right now. Okay. So within three years, six facilities, what, 200,000 square feet? Um, probably like 160. 160? Um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. How many letters do you think you mailed? We'll call it, what, eight, nine deals. How many letters do you think you mailed over that over that time period? Like 100, maybe? 100, well, yeah. that's pretty – okay. I was going to try to make a point, but that's pretty good conversion rate. So I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll call it uh, almost a 100% conversion rate. I'm sorry. It's almost it's a ten percent conversion rate. I'm sorry. Almost a ten percent conversion rate. Yeah, it's very. 
you know, ridiculous. I mean, I, as I recall, you had some pretty similar results, at least when you were starting out as well. Um, and I, but I, I don't think that's ridiculous if your list is good. Like I found this on the residential side. If you're buying the same list that everybody else is buying and mail the same letter, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. But if you find something that's hard to find, like when I did single families, no one was doing evictions in Tarrant County where I live. No one was mailing to them. So I would mail to evictions and it was harder to do. And I had to make my own list, but it was the conversion rate was significantly higher than, you know, foreclosure lists or whatever, you know, and you see this in self-storage too. Everybody goes and buys the same, what is that one company? Access. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but I think, you know, I suspect you had a pretty high conversion rate yourself. Yeah. And yeah, obviously we do things similarly. I want to see what, um, what, what do you do now? Are you, do you still follow up? Are you finding new leads? Are you, what's your marketing look like now? Pretty pathetic, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I still hit everyone in my market. I really need to break into a new market. Uh, I've kind of scraped mine pretty thoroughly. And, you know, um, I have connections. There's a few I'm kind of working, but they're smaller things. Um, I really need to kind of take a big step into a new market. And so that's kind of my goal for the next year or so um, is to really kind of bring it up a level. Um, it's been, I've, I've been, you know, I don't have a ton of square footage relative to how much time I put in, but I've, I've been building a ton. And so my basis is super cheap. And so I've really focused on optimizing my operations where I'm at right now. Um, and so I've been really fortunate with that, but it's definitely time to go into a new market. Yeah. Well, no, I want to hit on a couple things. You're, <clears throat> to me, I think you're smart in focusing on certain markets as opposed to, okay, I'm going to buy this huge list and I'm going to go out and mail to 10 different states. Yeah. And it's basically at this point, it's basically a yellow letter, you know, finding single family rentals or to wholesale them. Right. Yeah. And to me, yeah, you're going to pick up some deals, but you're not building a, you're not building a business. You've built a business in a specific area. At some point, you can probably sell them all together. Um, right now, operation-wise, right, it's it's smart to do that. Uh, you know the markets. You know what rents can be. It's just to me, it's just stronger. It's a stronger base and a stronger business um, when you're focused like that. And and then the other thing I want to point out is you said you don't have a lot of square feet. Well, that's relatively speaking, you do, but. And we've talked about this too. The most important metric is what are you cash flowing? And obviously, unless you want to tell us, you can tell us, but that's the number that matters. And you just said you're in it at a low cost basis. And um, from our talks, you know, it sounds like you're cash flowing pretty strongly, which is what's important, right? At the end of the day, that's what's important. You may have three facilities and make more than enough money than what you need, as opposed to, 10 highly leveraged facilities where you're scraping by. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of hit a point right there as well, which is why I've done expansion and I've sold off rentals and they'll use a lot of the funding as well as private money to, to expand on what I have. Um, because as I think this is pretty natural, as we get older, I think we want a little less leverage in our life. Um, I don't like being, I used to love, you know, 75, 80% across the whole, whole portfolio. And now, you know, if you drop, sell a rental for get a hundred thousand dollars <throat> instead of going out and buying, you know, a $500,000 facility with 20% now. And I throw a hundred thousand dollar building up and, you know, it's not as sexy, um, but it's easy. And, you know, if I build for a hundred thousand, lease it up, it'll be worth 200,000. And so it's, 
in an area with strong demand, it's kind of like printing money. It's not, you know, it's not going to get you the largest footprint, obviously, but it's um, for where I'm at, it was, it's a good strategy. I, it can't keep going that way. I've got to pivot to something new and kind of expand, but yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what you got to do at some point anyways. Um, but no, I think to me, I think you got a great business plan. So we'll back up a little bit. So obviously you were doing all this while being a full-time lawyer, which is insane. What, how many yeah. hours did you work a week on average? Don't I mean, tell me 15 because I know it wasn't 15. <laughs> I was in the office probably about 50 hours a week in the last year or two. Before that, it was probably 60, a lot of time on the road. I mean, when, I mean, it was, I don't know how I didn't, I mean, probably didn't have a nervous breakdown at some point, but between that and Joe, I had three kids and primary custody. I mean, just, I mean, I was crazy. Um, looking back, I don't know how I did. I probably just cause I was young and stupid. Uh, probably why I'm not married. Uh, <laughs> uh well, but yeah, but I mean, there's, there's time, right? You're working 50, 60 hours a week. I'm assuming a very high stress job built, Correct. bought almost 40 single family rentals. And has built a uh, multi-million dollar self-storage business. And obviously, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you did quit, end up quitting your job. Uh, what was that? Has it been a year and a half, year? What's that? Yeah, a year and a half. Yeah. So take us down that. So obviously you were, I think you were in a spot where you probably quit before, could have quit before. What yeah, kind of changed your mindset and, and how did that kind of look, the whole global picture? Quitting your job. Uh, you know, I think it's, um, I've been creeping up on it before my divorce and then kind of got knocked back. And then I was on the edge of it, I, you know, with the self storage and just going, going, going. Um, it got to a point again. And I think you say this with, you know, with your job is the pain point of just, it wasn't do you, you can only ride two horses for so long, right? Like you have to pick one after a while. Um, and I had made a decision early on in my legal career. I'm never going to be a great lawyer. I'm not going to put all my time into this. This is real estate is what I want to do. I'm going to hold on to both as long as I can. And it was just, it was, it was finally starting to take it, frankly, a toll on my health and mental uh, state. You know, I wasn't sleeping very well. I was unhealthy. And I think that's pretty common when you try to just do too much. Um, the only way I survived though really was, it's something every business owner probably does is focus on systems and removing yeah. myself as much as even when I had the homes, I self-managed, but I put in place like property management software and handyman. And so I wasn't really talking to these people. I, I'd had homes I hadn't seen for a decade, you know, like you just, you put the systems in place, let them run. And that was the only way I was able to do it. But I mean, it, I mean, it was crazy. I'd, I'd jump a fence in my suit, you know, to go look at a house and then go, go fly to Atlanta. So, I mean, it was, it was bonkers what I was doing for a while. So, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, again, it, the pain just became too great. I just like, I'm not getting any younger. And so let's call it a day with law. So, yeah, but it, was, yeah. it wasn't that easy because I know a little oh, bit of the back of the way. No, so, it's so I think it's interesting. To me, I think it's interesting. I think, I think to us, it's simple because we're sitting in the seat and we're like, just wanted out. I wanted more. But it's also part of your identity, right? Like you went to school. You're an attorney for close to what, 15, 20 years? 18, yeah. 18 years, yeah. So it's part of your identity. That's not easy to walk away from. So how did you get to get there mentally? Um, 
like, was it a money thing? Were you like, okay, if I make start making this much money with rental income, I can quit my job. What was it that was like, okay, now I can do it. Um, I just, well, okay. So, I mean, the, the cat, I mean, it came to a point where I, I saw enough potential. I don't think I was there financially to cover all my monthly expenses, but I could see the trajectory and I could see this is working, you know, self-storage income, far more stable than single family income. And I was just watching everybody else do, you know, we're in a couple of masterminds where, you know, everybody eventually quits their jobs. And um, for me, honestly, the biggest help, I mean, I, I knew I needed to quit, but I don't know if I could have done it on my own is going to our mastermind and standing up and you know, explaining what I wanted to do. And then everyone in the room got me to commit to quitting within two weeks. And that kind of accountability, I just needed to kind of get that final nudge across. Could I have done it on my own? I don't know. I'm probably still dragging my feet and screwing around and making excuses. But I mean, that's one of the many benefits of a mastermind group is that if it's there's some accountability there. I didn't want to stand in front of a group of guys I respected six months from now and be like, well, shucks, I still at my job, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, I think you would have gotten there too. It was, um, yeah, I think masterminds are great. Accountabilities are great. Um, they kind of, I think probably just get you to where you you want to go quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they get you to places where you don't want to go quicker too. Uh, but no, most of the times they get you to where you want to go quicker, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, I, I remember that. You know, we kind of pushed on you, and you obviously don't want to hear it while you're in it. Um, oh, yeah. But it's actually, I think, because uh, Ian was on uh, the last show, and we kind of talked about yeah. it. It was, it's like you're in these rooms, and you're trying to give someone advice, and then you get back home, and you're like, I should probably take my own advice that I'm telling this other dude to do. Oh, we, yeah. all, we all know the answer for everybody else, right? Technically, we know the answers for ourselves, but it's harder to, to I guess, admit them and, and follow through with them. Um, yeah, I agree with that 100%. I, I think one of the other comforts, I think, and I think you hear this all the time, so anyone who's listening wants to quit their job, is I don't know a single person who's quit their job and who's entrepreneurial and whose net worth and income hasn't exploded. Yeah. Um, the the tendency to underestimate the mental commitment and drag that a W2 job has on your investing journey is you just can't appreciate till you're out. Uh, you can, uh, I, I've been shocked. Uh, I think you probably had similar experiences. Everyone I know in our group that's done it has had that same experience. Yeah. That's a really good point that, well, that, and when you were saying, I was, I was thinking you were going to say this, um, but yeah, obviously your, your net worth, your cash flow, you, your mindset, everything just explodes and like this world of opportunities just open up. But not only that, I don't know. I don't, I know for a fact, I've never met anybody, like you said, with an entrepreneurial mindset. Granted, that's kind of the circles that we're networking with. Correct. I haven't met anybody that's, that <laughs> didn't, that I guess regretted quitting in any type of way. Everybody was like, yeah, I wish I'd have done it years beforehand. Um, that's, that's the only line I've ever heard is, why did I stay so long? This is yeah. ridiculous. I'd be so much further ahead if I quit years ago. Yep. Okay. So we've got, so attorney turned real estate investor grinding away over the past 15, 20 years, have a multi-million dollar self-storage portfolio. I know you've, you've, you've built some, you've expanded. 
Correct. I guess what kind of what kind of obstacles? Because at least the circles we run in, most people are buying value add facilities. Probably not expanding much. Just improving on operations, rental rates, those type of things. What kind of issues could arise when you do? I guess pros and cons to, to building. Okay. Um, well, yeah. I mean, and first, obviously, you know, I would do the turnaround on what was existing there. Um, the so I'm not going to direct. I'll try. I'm going to give a kind of long-winded way to get to the answer to your question: the pros and cons. Um, I mean, the pros of building are obviously you're building. If you already are expanding on land that you already own, you're basically you know at at, at replacement cost, and it's unless you're in just an incredibly rent depleted market, you will cash flow well with that low of a basis. Like it's really, really hard to screw up if you can lease it up um, when you're building at replacement, when you're buying or building at replacement cost. That's, that's just a basic metric. I think Sam Zell was obsessed with replacement costs as his basis and everything. I just, it's just hard to get hurt when you're buying at replacement cost, assuming you can lease it. Yep. Um I like the expansion model as well, because once you're in a market, I think um, you can mitigate the risk that would come from, say, a ground up development where you're guessing. And I don't care what kind of feasibility reports you get. It's guessing. Uh, and you, you, you know, you call everyone and everything like that. But when you're on the ground already and getting real time monthly data, you just have such an advantage. Uh, that you can assess demand like, okay, I know these units are going to be better than, you know, call everyone, see if they're full, but who cares? We don't know which ones are renting as well. Um, and I think that's such a huge competitive advantage. The expansion model, at least down here, works really well because you don't have to go all in. You can do measured bets, right? Like I don't have to do 10,000 square feet. I can build 3,000 square feet, 4,000 square feet and slowly test the market and stop when demand peters out. And so in that way, I think it's it's much less risky than a ground up development. Um, you've got a brand new facility. I, I mean, I don't know how you are, but some of my older facilities, they suck. Uh, you know, if they're 40 years old, you can't get latches for the door. So they break, you got to replace a door. You know, what is that? A thousand bucks. Um, it's, so you got brand new facilities, replacement cost basis. You can get in with more confidence and in my opinion, less risk. Um, and what's really neat about the what I think is interesting is that markets change, right? Like you look at your portfolio and you're like, holy crap, this facility, which has been a dog, is now 100% full. I've got a little bit of land. I'm going to put a building. I didn't even expect that. Um, you just can't predict it. Uh, but you have such a micro honed in vision of what's going on in the market. You can really respond to it. I'm, I'm kind of rambling. And the only other thing I would no, say you're not rambling. No, go ahead. is if you can build particularly right now, whether it's through private financing, bank financing, which is tough, or your own cash, that's a competitive band right now because most people can't build in a market. So if there's demand and you can meet it, no one's going to be competing with you. Yep. I think you hit on, well, I know you hit on a really good point that if you look at, and granted, self-storage is still, I wouldn't call it in its infancy anymore as far as you know an asset class, but it's growing up. But if you look at, I don't even know, 15, 20 years ago, especially 30 years ago, people weren't just saying, you know what, there's a plot of land. I'm going to build 100,000 square feet. They weren't doing that. Obviously, you know, the, the the REITs were doing that, public storage, whatever. But the mom and pops would build 
3,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. They fill up. And not, I'm not saying it was all correct because they could have pushed rates, which they probably didn't. But they'd fill up. Then they build another building. Then they fill up. Then they build another building. That's how you figure out true demand. The whole square foot per capita trying to figure out your demand is garbage because I've got towns where I want, I'm easily over 30s, 35, I think, square foot per capita. Yeah. And we stay 90% full or above year round. Then I have yeah. towns where it's we're at like under seven and yeah. it's the hardest towns for me to lease up in. So you made a really good point of it's probably better to get in, buy a facility, know the market, and then start expanding that way. Um, so yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I like it. And you know, in some of these markets now, it doesn't even I bought some land in a market that was right near it, and I felt comfortable enough knowing the market. Okay, I can make these numbers work. For me also, it's a longer term play. I think we talked about this maybe off the call, but you know, I like having, if you have enough facilities with land on them, you know, one year, it's like, well, I don't know how to deploy my capital. Oh, look, this facility is 100% full. Let's build a building here. And it's a, it's a good way. And, yep. You know, eventually too, if you're building at a low enough cost basis, even if you're using your own cash or private money, you're going to be able to refinance it. You have a lot of equity, you have a lot of cash flow and you can get that money back. It's probably not the most turbocharged way to grow your, well, I know it's not the most turbocharged way to grow your portfolio, but it's, I mean, it's, it's quicker than just buying a facility and then paying it down and then going on to the next one once fully paid off. You know, I, I kind of view it as in between sort of um, being max leveraged and aggressive and super growth mode and, you know, winding down. Yep. Yeah. But you've got your niche, right? You know, your niche, you've got your market do- dialed in to me. You've got a business plan. That's, it's never completely figured out, but you have a business plan that you figured out that works for you and you're diving head into it, which is how you build a, a you know, a, a successful business. Um, so where do you see, I want to ask two questions. One, where do you see the market right now and going in the next 12 to 36 months? Self-storage wise. Okay. Um, <clears throat> all right. So this is just my personal whatever opinion take it with a huge grain of salt. I think I think stable and growing markets are probably going to stay flat for a little bit with just a little bit of growth. I think where you're going to see a lot of this, I'm just, just talking to people, people who bought in crummy population depleting, you know, declining low income markets. I just, I think they're going to get worse, quite frankly. Um, I had a friend of mine who also made the point, and it's probably true, is that um, in hard economic times, the tertiary markets uh, get hit harder with people being unable to afford storage. So I I don't know. That's a theoretical thing. Um, I think right now I would not be buying facilities with a plan of I'm going to go in there, throw up a website, and all of a sudden I'm going to go from 60% to 95%. I think... I think banking on, quite frankly, any lease up um, in a new market is pretty risky, particularly, I mean, I look at a lot of deals where, you know, oh, raise the rents, raise the rents. I think customers right now are very price sensitive and it doesn't take much to get them to move. And with market, I don't know how your market is, but most of mine are pretty flat right now. I mean, if someone leaves, I'm lucky if I can refill it, but it's my occupancy is not, it's stuck. Yep. Um, I think it's going to be like that for a while. You know, with obviously within each small sub market, you'll get you know little pops in demand. 
but I think it's a much riskier time than even a few years ago. Um, and I think maybe even just planning a little longer for lease ups, you know, it used to be six months, you know, if I buy at 60%, I'll have it leased up, you know, six months. It may take two years. It still might be a good deal, but longer runway. Um, I don't know. I guess what you think. Yeah, no, I, a lot of that. I think the past, the, obviously the past three years have been abnormal for storage in a lot of ways. Cause with storage, you, you want a lot of things you want, you want bad things to happen, unfortunately, right? Yeah. You want um, death, you want divorce, you want job loss. Um, all those happened over the past three years in, in certain ways. And then you also had the good parts of it where there's money in the market, uh, which made people buy more, people move more. You had move. like the best of both worlds of a crappy economy and a really good economy. You had like both of them coming together, which just, it made storage explode. And now all of most of that has been wiped away. And we're in this weird middle area where it's just, we're in transition. Um, we'll see what, you know, basically it, it, it's probably mostly revolving around the fed, but we'll see what happens. You know, whether it's people got to start moving again for stores to pick up. That, that I was just going to say that, I mean, until the housing market really picks up again, I think we're going to be flat. Uh, maybe even slight declining. I mean, in every market's different, but yeah, it's so. I didn't realize even what how much it's tied to the mark, the housing market. You yeah. know, how many people call you and you know, I'm gonna put. I need three ten by twenties for my house. I'm closing in a month, and then they end up staying for six months. I mean, right. it's yeah, it's. And now we don't. Yeah, we don't have that. So that's, right now, we have basically the hoarders. <laughs> right. Right. Now, I mean, and, then, and you know this as well as I do. Once you get these customers in, they're pretty sticky. I mean, it's really a pain for them to come get their stuff and they tend to overvalue their stuff in relation to what they're paying in rent. So, yep. Yep. No, that's good. So where next for you next year, three years, five years, whatever you want to do This is your world. What What's next for I you? Will, oh man. Well, I've got, I'm doing a big cash out refi uh, that's closing tomorrow. And so I'm going to have Thank you. Yeah, it was a two and a half year project. It was that one I that was a facility I took from fifteen thousand to like fifty thousand square feet. Wow. Um, and so it's nice to get a, a payday after two and a half years. Uh, it's going to give me a lot of capital to deploy. And so you know, I don't know how you are, but when I have money to deploy, I, it like burns a hole in my pocket. And I got to be careful not to be sloppy. I'm like, ah, get it away from me. Like, I, you know. Um, I tend to find that when I don't have as much available capital, I tend to do better deals uh, just because I have to. I don't know if you're the same way. Um, I think that's, and I don't want to cut you off, but I think that's a good point that not many people, uh, I don't know if I've heard someone actually talk about it and give advice about it, but there is something to be said about having, I don't want to say too much money in your bank account, but there's yeah. something about, I think you said earlier too, there's something about pressure that makes us one do better deals and also take more action. And right. when you're cushy and you have all this money, especially if you're not, if it's more money than what you're used to, right? Like it, you become kind of complacent in a way. I think it's just human nature. It is, and it's it's a. I think it's a real risk. Uh, I know I'm already kind of like, well, this deal is kind of close to what I have. I mean, I would never normally pay this, but you know, I've got the money, and yeah. I know a second as I do it, something great's going to come around the corner, and I'm not going to have the money because I've just gotten complacent and lazy. And you know, I, I think you do this, and again, I'm, I'm referring to Sam Zell, but he was always making himself cash poor. 
He's like, yeah. rich, ask, rich in assets, cash poor. And it, it drove him to do better deals and always take action because yeah. cash is really easy to make, make, makes it really easy to not take action. Yep. Um, so, or at least take good action. That's not really answering what you're doing in the next year to three years. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah, I'm going to be trying to deploy Great that. Points, and, but... <laughs> uh, and then also, you know, I think that, it's a little off business topic, but I think maybe some people who do entrepreneurial stuff might benefit from it. Um, having ground, 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 grinded it out, ground, ground, grinded it out for a year, you know, two decades. Uh, I'm a little lacking in the human department. Um, and so I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time trying to work on becoming just like work out all aspects of my life, exercise, um, social stuff, um, kids stuff, everything. Um, and I'm kind of trying, I think I told you briefly, I'm trying to take the same approach to that as I took with real estate. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite frankly, I'd rather, it's easier to do real estate. It's what I'm familiar, familiar grinding, but taking action every day in those areas of my life and being intentional about it uh, is something I, I intend and I'm doing right now. And it's, it's kind of a slog, uh, but you know, kind of like everything, when you start out, you just have to keep taking action and, um, you know, I read this one book. It was called The Slight Edge. I don't know if you've ever read that one. Mm -mm. There's this line that really stuck with me. It's like the things that matter the most in life are the small decisions we make every day. Uh, they're the most important things, and they're really easy to do, and they're really easy not to do. Yeah. Um, and so, making sure I do those things that are easy not to do uh, every day in all aspects of my life, not just business, um, is sort of my goal in the next few years too kind of round myself out a little bit. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome insight that uh, you've already dropped a ton of awesome insight, but that is, if you take away one thing from, from listening, I think, yeah, us as uh, just human beings, right? I don't want to even say entrepreneurs, but human beings, like we pour so much into what we're doing with our job, our business, whatever, that obviously at some point, you know, family, friends, they, you know, we sacrifice that stuff, unfortunately. And to look at it as I'm going to dive into my family and my friends, you just, you basically said people, right? Yes. Um, you're going to dive into that the same way you dive into business. I, that's powerful. Like that's, you know, I don't think a lot, I don't think anybody really, not many people think of it that way. So that's, that's awesome. Well, it's years of therapy, I suppose. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so, I'll ask one, uh, I guess, one last question, one podcast type question. What is, I won't say you're necessarily your favorite book, but a book that maybe transformed your life more than any other book? Or you can have a couple books. Yeah. I mean, so I'm trying to, I've read a lot of business books lately, but I mean, The Slight Edge, I forget the guy's name. That one was really great. It's kind of in the zone of like atomic habits and everything like that, but just breaking it down into really simple, you know, the, just a little bit every day. It, it sounds really simple and basic and it's a basic concept, but reading the way he explained, I thought was really helpful, you know, and then, I mean, there's like, you know, the four hour work week, which is kind of dated now, but you know, you don't have to, that helped me when I was starting out as a W2, I'm like, oh, I don't have to work a job and everything. Um, so, um, and also I think the four hour work week was good in that it told, kind of put, instilled a sense of preserving your time and being careful. Like it's, you can go start a business and everything and, and work your butt off, make tons of money, but 
if it sucks up all your time, what good is it? You know, developing the systems to give you time to live your life. Um, I've been pretty ruthless in that. And that's why I love storage so much because it doesn't take any time. Um, I'm not sure I'd be as happy as I am now if I was doing something that took 40 hours a week, even for my own business. No, it's all, well, you say that you say that storage doesn't take all your time, but you've created the systems and you have people around you. So you can have that time, right? Not everyone does that. People always say, Oh, storage is so passive. It depends. Well, I, how do you have it set up? It can be. And it's funny because, and you know, that's, I don't want to completely go off ramp, but any business can be set up that way, right? It's just storage is probably a little more slower moving. But any business can be set up this way, the way that you've got it set up to where you do have time freedom. I agree. I mean, yeah, it's it's a model. I mean, it's basically just running a business. And any any well-run business, you move yourself as the owner from the process. Yep. Uh, so. Cool. Yeah, I, well, awesome, man. Awesome, awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, dropped a ton of insight, ton of nuggets. Um, do you want people to reach out to you or where can sure. people you want to reach out to me my emails i don't have a facebook page because i'm a dinosaur oh, you email oh man okay yeah it's just john k chapman my name like john k like a kitten chapman at you're gonna laugh hotmail.com because i'm literally that ancient it's my college <laughs> <laughs> john k chapman at hotmail.com it's people still laugh at me for having it but you can hit me up on there if you've got any questions i always love talking storage business whatever Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, appreciate you coming on. And uh, if you guys like the episode, make sure you subscribe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following, subscribing, and listening to this episode of the Do More podcast hosted by John Farling. To learn more or ask questions, go to l4investing.com.